Welcome to Pharma Talk Radio. I'm Kate Woda. Today, I am pleased to introduce Rosamund Round, Vice President of the Patient Innovation Center, and Julia Lakeland, Scientific Data Solutions Architect and Program Director at ParXcel, who will be leading a discussion on harnessing sensor technology to help deploy decentralized trials and improve patient care. Without further ado, I'd like to welcome Roz and Julia to begin today's discussion. Thanks, Kate. It's great to be here. So this is Julia. Roz, you and I have worked together, you know, a few years now, and 2020, it's been a year. What changes have you seen then within the world of DCTs since the pandemic hit? Well, we have seen just a huge uptake in um, the uh, the use of decentralized clinical trials. So um, pre-pandemic, we were doing a good number of them. But since the pandemic hit, um, the, the adoption has just skyrocketed. Um, we did, um, when the pandemic very initially hit, we did a lot of switch studies where we switched ongoing traditional trials to decentralize to enable the um, trial continuity, patient safety, obviously, and making sure we could maintain data quality. So we actually reviewed every single project that we had ongoing in the organization to see which of them needed support to be able to um, help patients in the home, whether that was direct patient drug shipments, whether it was home nursing to go and do testing, whether it was um, adding telemedicine, for example, um, and obviously the census piece as well. So it was quite the task. Um, and once we got over that first piece of um, looking at all of the ongoing projects, then we went and looked at the, the new projects that were coming in. Um, and, and it was quite quick, actually. A couple of weeks after we'd done all that triaging, we saw a shift in sponsors and what it was that they were looking for. And some of them were looking to include decentralized elements on every single protocol. Others were newer and they were looking for support and training and guidance, but very much looking at how they could help new trials that were coming. Um, and so we now are in a position where over 50% of phase two, three proposals and over 80% of real world evidence proposals actually include decentralized trials elements in them. Um, so yes, we are very, very busy. Sponsors are very motivated to get this done. And I think what we'd thought would happen in terms of adoption over the next five years is actually something that we've seen happen within a matter of months. So we've been busy, but it's been great. <laughs> Wow. And what have you seen on the census side since then the COVID pandemic hit? Yeah, no, it's, um, well, it's, it's a similar story. It's a very similar story. Um, you know, there has been a significant uptake in the interest of, of census, um, not just for, you know, for COVID trials, but just in terms of um, general use for, for other therapeutic areas as well and it's almost like you know the digital world is completely upon us and actually has almost been forced upon us um, not just from a DCT perspective or a wearables perspective um, but also you know from um, from ECOAs and, and the whole digital world and and biomarkers it's almost like yeah it does feel like the world of tomorrow is very much here today um, We've been busy. Um, there are so many technologies out there that need exploring, um, especially from the wearable space. 
um, be them wrist worn or you know commercial devices or medical devices there are new solutions that are constantly um, coming on the market and it's fantastic that the MH uh, that the FDA and the MHRA and those regulatory bodies have really started to get behind you know these the, the, the digital transformation which is upon us um, so yeah it's been busy hasn't it but um, but it's it's, I think it's great for our patients and it's good for industry um, and it's going to, yeah, it's going to change things in the future, definitely. And has the interest that you've seen in terms of people asking about it, has that translated to uptake at the same rate or are people still remaining cautious? So people are enthusiastically cautious i think is that if that's if that's fair to say um you know like i say there are so many new technologies out there people you know our sponsors are definitely exploring the the new um but they are still taking a tried and tested model what from what i'm seeing you know so typically you know time and time again you know when we have diabetes trials we have those cgms and we have glucometers included um and they can be home use you know as far as decentralized trials or even just from a traditional clinical trial where the devices are being used within the home setting um and those technologies have been around for a long time. So that's quite a constant for us. But what we are seeing increasingly is more accelerometry um, and starting to get those digital endpoints within kind of like a, a tried and tested methodology. So, you know, moving from the traditional six minute walk test that's been done within, you know, within most studies through to um, what what's being called the best six minute effort the b b six m e um which is much more real world focused and isn't you know it's a similar measure but it's slightly different um and so it's it's kind of like converting those traditional measures um that have been tried and tested but but how do we you know how do we as an industry how do we um articulate and transform that measure following the same guidelines you know within within a digital world and and what can we learn from all of that so that's why i'm kind of saying it's like we're enthusiastically cautious um because there's there is so much still to come you know there are um neural implant devices that are out there you know the ingestible tablets that came that that, that are in, you know still still um still available and, and being uh developed advanced robotics all of you know the increased use of ai and machine learning is is starting to come to the forefront but it still does increasingly it comes back to what's your use case you know what is it that we're measuring and why and what benefit can the technology bring and it it's it's having that grounded approach which makes such a big difference as from what i can see yeah and with so many solutions out there how do you go about checking which ones are um, really measure, measuring exactly what we want them to and are doing it in a way that matches up with gold standard that would occur in a clinic you know what that's 
<laughs> that is the that's the question you know that's the ultimate question and validating these technologies can be difficult you know because we are looking at obviously you're looking at the device measurements so is the data that the cat that the device is capturing is that reliable how does that compare to gold standard and you know how have those 510k evaluation studies being conducted against which environment with which sample size and how does all of that stack up um, so there's a certain element of doing your your research accurately but also i think you know your device selection and you know this because you know with all the patient councils um, and the advocacy groups that you you and I know, you know, Par Excel are working with, but I think getting that voice of the patient and understanding your patient population has, is, is so key because you need to make sure that obviously the device is reliable, but also that it's usable, you know, and so, you know, doing trials um, almost like pilots, you know, within a small environment and getting your hands on these technologies certainly goes an awful long way um, to, uh, to, be in, to proving success. Yeah. And I know that you're often to be found with a number of devices on your person. How have you found that experience? <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> I love it <laughs> all of these different weird and wonderful technologies that come through I think they are back in the summer I did get some strange looks when I had three wrist worn devices and a chest patch on all measuring my various vital signs um, but ultimately you know that it, it it does help it really does help because one of the key you know you've got to look at the data. The data has to be accurate. It has to be reliable. Um, but you also want to make sure you're getting very good patient compliance. And if the device is not comfortable to wear, and if the patient feels quite conspicuous around, you know, it's the summer months and you have a chest patch and, you know, having that, having that appreciation of who your patient's are and and how they feel and building that into your device selection that's um that's partly why i why i like doing what i do um because it does really give you you know the 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 uptake of you know what would it be like as a patient here so um so how about yourselves though though i mean we've um you know we're looking at uh, sensors as, as kind of like being an enabler for decentralized trials, um, you know, and how are you finding that um, the impact of, you know, wearables and those decentralized trials, how's that impact being translated on your, your sites and patients and what are your learnings and your key takeaways there? Um, well, we've, we've learned a lot. I think operating at scale very quickly, we've been fortunate that we had such a good service in place before the pandemic hit. So we've really just been scaling up. Um, and we, we talk a lot to patients and sites to, to understand what matters to them, what their challenges are, what particular barriers are to access and participation. And then we really try to build our strategies for DCTs around the patients, but in partnership with sites. 
Um, and so I think one of the things that's important is to really work with patients up front. So we do something called patient insight studies. So whenever we're planning a DCT, we always survey patients and sometimes caregivers too, to find out, you know, would you like a sensor? Would you wear a watch? Would you feel comfortable with it? Would you know like how to charge it and how to look at the data if we were to visualize that for you if we wanted to? Um, and would you like a nurse in your home? And if so, why? If not, why not? And understand we don't want to make assumptions about what matters to patients because if we do we would probably get it wrong a fair amount of the time um, so we always start by understanding what patients want um, and we've talked to them a lot through the pandemic we actually had a joint patient and site advisory council meeting when the pandemic first hit to find out what was challenging or worrying for both sides and patients really told us about the anxiety that they tend to experience at the thought of having to go to a site. It was early on in the pandemic, really, but I would imagine it would be similar now. Um, but then when you ha already have a pre-existing health condition, the idea of then going to a hospital when it's, for all intents and purposes, most of them are closed to anything but the most um, you know, but the most urgent cases. And so um, we talked about that and about actually how things like telemedicine is perfect in a lot of situations. There are some situations where patients would still want to go into the clinic for particular scans and that kind of thing. Um, but a lot of the time, actually telemedicine is a lot more comfortable for them. And when they did have to go into the site, for example, if we were doing a hybrid trial, what they wanted to know was what exactly would happen at the site when they went there. Would they be able to wear their mask? would there be like a one-way system in place Would they have to touch things with their hands to go in elevators and that kind of thing how much hand sanitizer is there should they bring their own and so really what they wanted was information and communication particularly if they're on a traditional trial and then the thought of switching to a decentralized trial part way through they wanted communication from the site about what would that would mean for them um, and their participation on a day-to-day -day basis um, so I think it's been really important to bring that element in and also getting used to things like um, direct patient drug shipments. So one of the patients we talked to, for example, he's an oncology patient and he said that, yes, he gets the medication delivered to his home rather than having to stand at the hospital pharmacy. But to start with, he didn't quite trust it. So he used to make the courier stand there and wait whilst he wanted to check everything that was in the box and make sure that everything was absolutely perfect before they were allowed to leave so that he could be sure that he was getting what he needed. But once he got into it and kind of got used to it, I think that settled down a bit. So it's really making sure that we do things to facilitate ease for patients. Um, and also from a site perspective, a lot of sites were reticent to undertake some of these things prior to the pandemic. It was seen as this big innovation before, whereas now for a lot of sites, it's more business as normal. Telemedicine, for example, ECOA, now pretty standard um, and I think the, the worry before had been about the impact on the patient site relationship um, and what we've heard actually is that people are still making these very real human connections that perhaps they hadn't anticipated um, and one of the physicians we spoke to in the US said that it was a bit like going back to the home visits of the olden days almost where it's just a virtual home visit where instead of expecting someone to come to the clinic where they may be nervous and they may be rushed and all of those things instead all they have to do is click a button you're right there and actually you're getting a window into their day-to-day -day life you might see their dog behind them their home and you get a sense for who they are and what their environment is um, and so they've actually found that it's been very positive and also compliance has increased we've heard as well because 
rather than the burden being on patients to find time and resources and travel and childcare and all of those things, actually all they have to do is click a button and they're into their visit. Um, and so I think the, the sites have been actually much more positive and pretty much all of them have said that they would uh, carry on using telemedicine post pandemic um, and that it's changed their practice slightly. Um, but but they found it a really beneficial tool. Um, also, as well as the sites and patients, there has been an impact from a regulatory perspective as well. So I think whilst sites are happy to carry on, patients are probably going to be demanding more of this now knowing what's possible and that everything doesn't have to be on them to get to the site. From a regulatory perspective, a lot of the regulatory agencies switched very quickly when the pandemic first hit. Many completely you know, doing a, a flip because some of them haven't been keen on some of these things before, but realised that to maintain patient safety, it was critical that this was um, implemented, these DCT approaches. And so a lot of them were actually much more amenable. What we saw as the wave started to decline in a couple of countries was that regulators are starting to go back to pre-COVID rules but we think and believe that many of them will keep things the way that they are. Um, also, Paracel is part of the ACRO group and we're actually collaborating with other CROs on um, building a very clear guidance in collaboration with the MHRA on um, what the rules and regulations should be around DCTs. And the, the hope is that once that's approved, that can be used as a blueprint to go to other regulatory agencies around the world. Because I think some of the reasons that some of the regulators are, or a couple of them are switching back is maybe not being quite sure what should be in place long term. Um, so this project with ACRO, I think, is really good to, to help um, set standards, but in partnership between the regulators and industry. Um, so I think that would be really beneficial going forward as well. Um, so yeah, the, the impact's been huge. Regulators, sites, patients and sponsors as well. As I mentioned before, you know, a lot of them have just said, right, this is just the way we're going to do things now. Um, and, and we work, we have a DCT consultancy service. So we're able to partner very closely with those sponsors as they build their protocols and we do pipeline reviews with them and, and plan very closely. And then at the other end of the spectrum, really acting as that guide as sponsors or maybe that aren't as familiar with it, explaining to them what it is, what the impact is for their organisation, any new job roles they might need to consider, how they can partner with us, what does it mean in terms of vendors, what does it mean in terms of budgets, um, and we're able to kind of partner and support them in really getting set up and then everything in between as well. So it really has been transformational for the industry. Um, and I, I'm really excited to see where we'll be this time next year, hopefully out of the, the COVID pandemic. Um, but I do think that once that's passed, this really is here to stay. Yeah, that digital world remains around us. I think, I mean, it's amazing. You know, I, I, you and I obviously speak regularly, but my mum, you know, when, when you were talking about, you know, those decentralized trials and the impact on the patient, I always, you know, I do look at my mum because she has underlying health conditions, you know, and she still lives in her own home though. And actually she's been taking her own blood pressure and she's been dialing it, taking it through. And she's actually been, you know, contacting and speaking with her physician and her, um, you know, her, her, um, yeah, her research nurses regularly um, for exactly those same reasons. So, you know, and she loves it. She absolutely loves it. She just, she doesn't have to worry about how she's going to get to that hospital and are they going to be running on time and, you know, all of the, 
all of those other con those normal considerations that time and time again will actually kind of cause create a lot of anxiety for her um mm -hmm. you know she's yeah she's completely on board with where where we're at and it just feels quite natural in some instances you know oh, yeah that's, that's, that's great yeah that's fantastic and I think whilst we talk about um, your mum as well, thinking about diversity, diversity obviously can be age, race, gender, ethnicity, many other types of diversity. Um, but one of the things with the rise of the racial justice movement and also seeing the disparities in health outcomes for um, certain populations, for example, black and Latino communities in particular in the US, um, DCTs have really been held up as like the poster child for solving this issue around access and experiences and research for those more diverse groups. Um, but we've done again lots of research talking with patients and with physicians from different ethnic and racial backgrounds to really understand kind of some of the needs. And in particular, we've talked about DCTs. There were, there were two things that came up that I think were really interesting. One of them is around um, the use of technology. So technology is great, but we can't make assumptions about what people have access to. So not everyone's going to have a laptop, but most people will have a smartphone. But if they have a smartphone, they won't necessarily have Wi-Fi. And if they don't have Wi-Fi, they may not have a data plan that enables them to just participate in telehealth. So going back to that patient insights piece again about getting feedback from the beginning, I think understanding any of those access issues can enable us to actually make sure we're Absolutely. provisioning devices and paying for those data plans because we know that that's going to be a challenge. Um, and then the other thing, not technology related, but um, around home nursing, actually in some cultures, it's kind of normal to maybe hide your illness because it's seen as a negative, maybe something you brought on yourself, something that you deserve, something that's looked down on. And so people don't necessarily want a nurse coming to their home because it would kind of reveal that. Um, in my village, it would be the same if I had a nurse coming to my door, the whole village would be wondering what was going on with me. So I could definitely empathise. Um, but knowing that we can understand that again up front and we can actually send nurses into nearby hotels or community centres, for example. So there are ways around things. Um, so I think absolutely it can be a DCG can be a great tool to improve access to some of those populations that have maybe struggled before. But it has to be done thoughtfully in the right way. So I think we've covered a lot of ground today. It's always nice. I know. <laughs> but with that, I think we can probably wrap up and um, hand over to Kate. Thank you, Roz and Julia, for such a great discussion about decentralized clinical trials and harnessing sensor technology to improve patient care and trial continuity during the pandemic and beyond. Again, you just listened to Rosamond Brown of the Vite Vice President, Patient Innovation Center, and Julia Lakeland, Scientific Data Solutions Architect and Program Director at ParXL. For more information on ParXL's decentralized clinical trials, sensor technologies, and other offerings, please visit www.parxcel.com forward slash decentralized. Thank you. <laughs>